I'd like to teach from the title, How to Not Compromise in Babylon. How to Not Compromise in Babylon. And then I'd like to direct your attention while you're standing, it will be on the screen, to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn there. And Daniel is one of those books of the Bible that begins with tragedy. It begins with sorrow. It begins with a defeat, really, of God's people as Babylon sweeps into Judah. Daniel 1 and 1. You have that same man? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar spoils Jerusalem. He spoils the temple. And Babylon brings the people of God into captivity. And he takes the holy things of God and he mingles them with paganism. And then... You see from the text that he took part of it, and so uh, the, what was left of the temple in Jerusalem had only a portion of the holy things of God that it once had. Now, I don't have time to develop this thought, so I'm just going to tell it to you. I believe that we are living spiritually in the bondage of Babylon. In the United States of America, I think the spirit of Babylon has gripped churches, countries, individuals. It is the spirit of the last days. It's the spirit that is connected to the Antichrist. Anyone believe we're living in the last days? And so, with that being said, the spirit of Babylon is a spirit of compromise. It's a spirit that takes the holy things of God and mingles it with paganism and leaves the true people of God with only a portion of what they once had. And that's why you can walk into churches that used to believe in holiness, but they don't believe in holiness anymore. That's why you can walk into churches where people used to speak in other tongues, but nobody speaks in tongues anymore. That's why you can walk into churches where people used to be healed, but nobody's healed anymore. Because there was compromise in the age of Babylon. But I want to preach and teach to somebody for just a moment tonight that you do not have to compromise just because you are living in the age of Babylon. You can stand for what is right even when Babylon is victorious all around you. And you can prosper. Put your Bible down and lift up your hands and let's give God praise. Lord, in the name of Jesus... I pray that we would have the spirit of Daniel upon us as a people, a spirit that could resist 
Lord, the onslaught of Babylonian compromise that would call your people into paganism, that would call your people into false doctrine. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen this church and your people in Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. Take you to the next slide, and we'll, and you can be seated. Thank you. Daniel chapter 1 and 5. And this is the portion of Scripture where, where Daniel and the other famous three Hebrew children who we refer to by their Babylonian given names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where these four individuals were specially chosen for royal service. And we see here in, in Daniel 1 and 5 that the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This is, of course, uh, the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This was their given names. It was their real names. And if you study the verses beforehand, you'll see, and I wanted to point this out to you, that Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were children. The Bible refers to them as children when they were first chosen by the king's advisors. They were young men, probably teenagers, and they were specifically chosen because they were good-looking, they were intelligent, they were wise, they were without blemish. These were young Hebrew men that the king of Babylon felt could assimilate into Babylonian culture. These were men that, that they assumed would, would be able to learn the language of Babylon, the customs, the laws of Babylon. Men that would be able to contribute to Babylonian society. And the Babylonian empire was unique, different than many of the empires before them, in that they would allow people that they conquered to actually thrive in their society. They wouldn't just imprison them or kill them, but what they would do is they would handpick people who they had conquered that they thought could be warriors or advisors or uh, men of knowledge, and they would show them the good things, the materialism of Babylon, the power of Babylon, and they would say, you can be a part of this. And, uh, and so Daniel was one of those young men that the king of Babylon said, there's a future for this young man. And all of it was because of who he was at a young age. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out is because in our carnal minds, Daniel would be someone that we would assume would be drawn towards pride. Someone who would be drawn towards materialism. He had a lot of things going for him. He had, a, he had a good IQ. He had good looks. He had intelligence. People were looking to him as a part of the future. And yet, there was something about Daniel that would not allow the spirit of Babylon to grip him. 
that would not allow Babylon to draw him in to its designs. And I'm going to tell you that there is something about people who are in this world, but they are not of this world. God is looking for Christians in the last days who are willing to say, I know that I'm stuck here in this world. I know that darkness prevails around me. I know that I have to go to work where there's all kinds of perversion happening there. And then I turn the news on and it's just more bad news and perversion there. And then I go over here and it's just more sin happening over there. And everywhere I turn, it just feels like Babylon is never going to be overthrown. And I have to operate in this society. I have to live. I have to move. I have to make a living. I have to raise a family in the midst of this Babylonian environment. But God looks at the heart of an individual who says, I know I'm here. I know I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I am a part of something bigger than Babylon. I have an anointing that is greater than even the greatest king in this entire carnal world and that was the heart of Daniel and the three Hebrew boys and they were chosen especially that they might stand before the king in other words that they might not just work for the king as servants but that they would be advisors to the king this was no small thing there's no way to overemphasize what an amazing opportunity this was Babylonians would have taken their right arm and cut it off to have an opportunity like Daniel and the three Hebrew boys had, but they were given favor of God. Okay, we'll go to the next slide, and I want to introduce you to how to not compromise while in Babylon. And here's the first point that I'd like to bring out to you from the life of Daniel, the life of Daniel, and we find it in Daniel 1 and chapter 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Can we read this together? But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So what Daniel did, he made a very early decision deep in his heart that he would not compromise. Before the moment of opportunity arose, before the time ever came where he would be tempted, he had already decided, he had purposed in his heart, I am not going to be drawn into things that go against my God-given convictions. I will not be drawn into things. I know I'm in Babylon. I know I'm not in Jerusalem. I may not have a priest looking over my shoulder. I may not be able to make it to Passover like I would like to. I may not be able to do everything that I would like to do because I'm a captive here, but I have already decided I am not going to do it just because Babylon says I have to do it. That was the attitude of Daniel. Now, we could talk for a long time about why this was a, def a defiling thing in his life. Number one, uh, it, the, the, uh, the diet of Babylonians would have been against the Jewish 
Levitical laws, the dietary laws, or many things the Jews were not allowed to eat that Babylonians had no problem eating, including blood. Uh, and also, in the Babylonian culture, their food was offered to idols before they ate it. And so that was a very, very terrible thing for a, a, a Jew to allow themselves to do would be to eat food that had been offered to an idol first. And so, and also, and I'm just going to throw this in here and I'm not going to get many amens, but Daniel turned the wine down because this was wine that was alcoholic. I'm just going to help you all out. The wine that the Babylonians drank was the kind of wine that gets you drunk, not the juice. You all know the difference between juice and wine, right? Well, when you study the Bible, it doesn't make a distinction. Wine and juice were are used interchangeably in, in the King James Version. But uh, Daniel was not going to become an alcoholic like the Babylonians were known for being. He said, I'm not going to defile myself in that way. I'm going to be controlled by God, and, and I'm not going to be controlled by the spirit of alcoholism. Boy, it got so quiet, but I feel like I might need to preach that for a minute. Mm. So he decided, I'm not going to defile myself. I don't care what anybody thinks about it. It doesn't matter. And I'm just going to tell you, as apostolics who believe in holiness, and I know it's a small crowd tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and help you right now. If you will make a covenant in your heart with God that you are not going to allow the pressure of culture to push you towards compromise, you will not have difficulty when the pressure comes. But if you wait until the moment of temptation comes to decide, you are going to stumble. You need to make up your mind right now. The old timers used to call it having a made up mind. That was a that was a way of saying you need to settle it in an old fashioned altar. You need to settle it in a prayer closet. You need to settle it somewhere in your spirit. You need to get a conviction deep down in your soul that is unshakable, unbreakable, unmistakable. And it doesn't matter what situation you're in. Your conviction does not change. And let me just preach for a minute. Your conviction shouldn't change just because you're on a beach in the Bahamas. Right. Your convictions don't change based on where you are. Your convictions don't change based on who's looking and who's not looking. Your convictions are a part of who you are. And they ought to come from the word of God and from the man of God and from the voice of God. And if you've heard it from the man of God, the word of God and the voice of God, then you need to settle it deep in your spirit and say, I am not going to allow culture to decide what is right and what is wrong. Culture is not going to tell me what modesty looks like because culture doesn't know what modesty is. Culture is not going to tell me what is acceptable entertainment because culture doesn't know what acceptable is. Culture isn't going to tell me that a, that a life doesn't begin until it's out of the womb. Culture doesn't get to tell me that. The word of God tells me that. And so my convictions are my conviction. Culture wants to tell me that uh, a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. But my convictions from the word of God tell me that we are created man and woman. And we're created in the image of God. And so my convictions don't change just because Babylon says it needs to change. 
Babylon's going to try to get you to eat all kinds of stuff you shouldn't eat. Babylon's going to try to get you to smoke it, dope it, drink it, shoot it up. Babylon's going to get you to try to watch it, read it. Yeah. Babylon wants you to laugh at it. They want you to be entertained by it. Yeah. Yeah, Babylon wants to, to be the one to tell you, well, you can have some convictions, but you can't have all your convictions. And, and here's why. And see, this was the dilemma that Daniel was in. He had, the Lord had given him favor with, with one of the king's servants, a eunuch, and uh, really cared for Daniel. Scripture says that uh, he loved Daniel. And Daniel approached the eunuch and said, I, I don't want, uh, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. I'm not going to eat the king's food, and I'm not going to drink the king's wine. And I would rather have vegetables and water. You know, I'd, I'd rather be kosher. And, and the eunuch wanted to do this for Daniel, but he was afraid that the king would be angry with him if he allowed Daniel to do this. And so he, he kind of wrestled with Daniel a little bit. This was the pressure that Daniel was under. He had to decide, am I going to make someone that I care about who doesn't believe like me uncomfortable? Am I going to put him in a bad situation? Everybody see what's happening there? Everyone see the nuance there? See, sometimes we're convicted to compromise because we care about someone. And so Daniel had to make a decision. Here I, I'm trying to do, Daniel's realizing, for me to do what is right before God, I'm going to not only inconvenience myself, but I'm going to inconvenience someone that I care about, who doesn't believe like me, by the way. So now, in our culture, someone would put it this way. They would say, well, you're imposing your convictions upon me. You know what? The world imposes their convictions on me all the time. I have to look at their dirty magazines when I go to Walmart. I have to see its dirty billboards when I drive down the street. I have to see their alcohol in every gas station I go to. I have to wait 30 minutes for someone to stop playing the lottery every time I go in QT. They impose their convictions on me all the time and nobody cares. I'm going to stand for what God says because I purposed in my heart. It's not about me. It's not about me. This is about the word of God. This isn't just something that I decided to do. And so I'm inconveniencing people. No. And so the way you have to view it is that when you are in a situation like that, they have to put it before God. Because this is what God told you to do. Okay, next slide. Now, here's the second thing you have to do. If you want to avoid compromise in Babylon. Now listen, this is important. You must have confidence in your convictions. Everyone said confidence. You must have confidence in your convictions. Not arrogance. Amen. Not pride. But you do have to have godly confidence in your convictions. In other words... You need to know what your convictions are to start with. So you need to settle those early on. Remember, I mentioned Daniel was probably a teenager when all of this was happening. So that means that Daniel 
had already decided and settled his convictions in his heart as a teenager. Don't tell me young people can't have convictions. They can. He had settled convictions in his heart. That means he had taken the time to think about them. He wasn't just playing, you know, Xbox all day. He had thought about his convictions. He had settled them in his heart. So you have to know what they are. You have to know why God put them in your life. And then you have to have confidence that your convictions make a difference. So look at what happened. Daniel 1, 14 and 15. So uh, the servant of the king consented to them. This is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this matter and proved them 10 days. In other words, he tested them. He, he put a little contest together and he said, okay, I'm going to let you do this, this strange diet for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, they compared them to the other individuals who were not eating this way. And Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter. Praise God. Now, we need to, we need to mention that that doesn't necessarily mean fatter the way we mean fatter in modern English. And better condition in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Let me just tell you, if you will do what God called you to do, if you will stand on godly convictions, you can have confidence because it's going to turn out in your favor. It's going to work together for your good. And, and when, as time goes by and you begin to compare your convictions and what it produces in your life, it will produce good things in your life that when you compare it to people who do not walk in godly convictions, you will see a drastic difference. I'm just going to tell you, you will see a drastic difference when you walk in what God called you to do. Okay, next slide. And here's the third thing. And uh, I might dwell on this one for a moment. Daniel 2 and 49. Now, as Daniel progressed, Daniel, uh, after uh, he after he uh, was able to maintain his dietary convictions and uh, his lifestyle convictions, uh, he grew in favor. Uh, he grew close to the king. He interpreted a dream for the king, and he became a very trusted advisor, uh, so much so that um, he, he really was the top advisor to the king. This is no small thing. I mean, um, this was the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And you have a young Hebrew man named Daniel who is literally the closest advisor to the king of Babylon. Has a lot of similarities to Joseph and, and his situation with Pharaoh. And God raised him up to this because uh, of his heart. And as he's, as he's growing in favor with the king and as he's becoming more powerful and all of this is happening, the king starts giving him added responsibility and, uh, and starts moving him around. And while Daniel has an opportunity, he looks at the king in Daniel 2 and 49, and he requested of the king that he would set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So what Daniel did in the midst of, of all of this that's happening in his life, he's receiving promotion, he's moving forward, and Daniel decides 
that he needs to stay closely connected to others with convictions like his. Now remember, it's not long after this that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a similar moment where they stand for their convictions and, and uh, they're, they're out there and there's the statue of the king, the golden statue, and he says when the music plays, you're going to bow and you're going to worship the statue. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. They had the same attitude. They had the same strength of convictions that Daniel had. They were contemporaries. They were friends. They were of the same age. And Daniel said, I'm going to stay connected with people who are like-minded, with like convictions, and of like faith. Let me just tell you, it matters who you associate yourself with. It matters who your friendships are. It matters who you talk to. It matters who you allow to influence you. You need to have people in your life that share your faith, that share your convictions, that share your values. You need to have people who pray like you pray. You need to be around people who fast like you fast. We don't just come together on Sundays and Wednesdays just to have something to do. It's not like we don't have busy lives. Anybody just sitting around all day today? I sure wasn't. I've been going 100 miles an hour all week long. We come together because we need to stay connected with people who share our convictions. Why? Because we are living in the age of Babylon. And the only way that you're going to stay strong in your convictions in the age of Babylon is for you to stay close to people who will lift you up and confirm your values. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, that's why you need to be careful whenever you start realizing that your closest relationships are with Babylonians. Everybody okay? You've got an issue. Whenever your strongest influences are Babylonian influences, you, you have a serious issue. Whenever your favorite entertainment is Babylonian entertainment, you have a serious issue. Yeah, yeah, because then what happens is you, you start... You start getting out there and the trumpets start playing and the music starts going and, and everybody's bowing to the big statue and, and, uh, and you're by yourself. Mm. And then all your buddies want you to bow and now you got peer pressure involved. No, you need to get some people around you like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who will stand with you and say, nope, we're not going to do it. Everyone else can do it. We're not doing it. Apostolic Tabernacle's not doing it. No, 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 no. Brother Nathan's not doing it. Brother John's not doing it. Brother Guevara's not doing it. Brother Lucas isn't doing it. We're not going to do it together. We'll stand. Throw us in the fire. It doesn't matter. We're going to do what God told us to do. We're going to stand on our convictions, and we will not bend or bow to the spirit of Babylon. And make no mistake, I'm going to reconfirm this. We are living in the age of the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world today. I'm just going to tell you, there is a spiritual realm that is moving right now, and it's strong. And it's going to take people who are more committed than they have ever been before, or you will succumb to the spirit of the age. You need to pray like you've never prayed. You need to fast like you've never fasted. You need to worship like you've never worshipped. You need to get yourself in the house of God and make it a priority every time the doors are open because the age of Babylon is an age of compromise and compromise will destroy your relationship with God. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You know, that was really the problem with Samson. 
because Samson thought that he could play around with Delilah and not lose his convictions. Uh-oh. I'm helping somebody right now. So some of y'all think that you can play around with Delilah's and your convictions won't change. But you play around with Delilah long enough, she's going to start trying to figure out, you know, because Delilah is never going to be content for you to just keep your convictions and her do her thing and you do your thing. No, she's going to try to find out what it is that is sacred to you and then she's going to cut it out of your life. So you've got to be careful. That's the spirit of compromise. That's the spirit of Babylon. Babylon is never content for you to just have your convictions and them have their convictions. No, the spirit of Babylon is going to find out what's sacred to you and then they're going to try to destroy it. You better hang on to it. You better treasure it. You better love it. You better hold to it because they'll take it from you. Okay, next slide. Now, this is from Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Uh, then this Daniel was preferred. Someone said preferred. Above the presidents and princes. Everyone said, wow. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Someone said, wow, again. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against him. Against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion for fault. For as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Let me tell you how to not compromise in the age of Babylon. Confirm your convictions with excellence. Confirm your convictions with excellence. Let me put it this way. You know, I've had jobs in the past where there are things that I, were, that I was not willing to do because of my convictions. And, and uh, it put me at a disadvantage in the workplace. We're just going to talk real life for a minute here. Anyone ever been here before? It put me at a disadvantage, carnally speaking, because I would not participate. I'll give you the strongest example I can think of. Um, I worked for many years in the Indianapolis airport for a huge company, multi-billion dollar company, that ran over 40 different stores and restaurants in the Indianapolis airport. And so when I was hired on, I was a cashier, $8 an hour, went from cashier to supervisor, supervisor to manager, manager to assistant manager, and I just kept going up and up. And when I started, my focus was Starbucks. They had Starbucks there. It's one of the reasons why I hate Starbucks now, but praise the Lord. And they had Cinnabon, and it's one of the reasons I can't button my jacket tonight. And, uh, and so I, I managed, uh, and a bookstore, a couple bookstores, and so I managed all of, of what they called the food and beverage bookstore side of the business. Uh, and, but connected with that same company, there were several uh, airport bars. You ever pass those in the airport? You know, there's a bar, you know, because people are afraid to fly. And so, you know, you do know what happens at airports, right? They all... Before they get on the plane, they just get totally smashed. That's why they're stumbling on the airplane. And, uh, and so my company ran quite a few bars, and that's where most of the money came from. The bars were lucrative, I tell you. People drink some alcohol before they get on an airplane. And, uh, and if you fly much, you know 
that every, you know, a bottle of water is $30 at the airport. God forgive them. And so uh, what happened is I, as I became uh, uh, more and more involved in the company and more recognized by uh, the, the uh, corporate managers and headquarters and things like that, they wanted to give me more and more responsibility, which came with more and more money. But in order to do that, they wanted me to work in the bars, even though I had hired on and said I will not participate in anything having to do with the bars. I'm not going to work in a bar. I'm not, certainly not going to serve alcohol. I'm not going to stock alcohol. These were my convictions. Everybody okay? I'll tell you the other conviction I had. I wasn't, gonna, uh, I wasn't going to help people to um, help others consume alcohol. It just wasn't something I was going to do. And I was very clear about it. And they became more and more frustrated with me over this because, and they would say things to me like, you know, we really want to give you another raise. You know, we, we could give you, one time they said, you could have a $10,000 a year raise. All you'd have to do is just go over there a couple times a night and help them out for about 30 minutes. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And so then... It went from that, and this is the, the spirit of Babylon, by the way. Everybody all right? Because Babylon starts by just trying to find a little way, just, you know, let me reason with you, you know. Let me entice you a little bit, you know. And then if you don't respond to the, you know, the worldly reasoning and if you don't respond to the enticement, then it goes to intimidation. So then it went from that to things like, well, you know, you might not can work here at all if you're not willing to work with the bars. And I remember those conversations. There were several of them. One time they called me in, 10 of the highest ranking managers, I'm talking uh, countrywide, not just local Indianapolis, but they'd come all the way in from Seattle. And they were sitting there and they said, Brian, we see great things in your future. What I didn't tell them is, I'm about to finish Bible school, and when this is all over, I'm leaving this place forever. <laughs> they, but they sat me down. They said, Brian, we see great things for you in your future here. You could really go for have a career here, and, and uh, we see a fast track for you in promotions. But, you know, you've really, but if you won't be reasonable about this, this, we realize that you don't drink, and we're fine with that. We don't have a problem with your conviction, but... You know, you've got to understand, people like to drink at airports. And you've got to be willing to help them do that. And that's where our money comes from. And how can you work here? And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. But here's what I did. What I was willing to do, I did it with all of my might. If I was going to work at something non-bar related, I made sure I was the best person there on the job. Every time I was involved in whatever I was doing, I did it as unto the Lord. By the way, that's what the Bible teaches us to do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. And so every time I did a job for that company, even jobs I hated, by the way, I did it as unto the Lord. And what that meant was when it came down to it, I was doing such a good job at what I could do that I made myself indispensable. Now, listen, there were times when I went home. 
And I said, Lord, get me out of that place as fast as you can in the name of Jesus. But when I was there, I was doing my best. That is the spirit that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. There were things that they were not willing to do, but whatever they did, they did it their very best. They didn't lie. They didn't cheat. They didn't steal. They didn't cut corners. They had a spirit of excellence that caught people's attention. And people who were in charge took notice and said, we want them a part of what we're doing. But here's what will happen. Listen now. There will be people around you, your peers, your Babylonian peers, who will hate you for the favor that your excellence brings you. Everybody okay? Yes, they will. You know what's amazing to me? I, I, I've seen so many situations where uh, a, an individual, God delivered them from drugs and alcohol, and their family that was still on drugs hated them because they were delivered from drugs and alcohol. Wouldn't you think that they'd be, wouldn't you think that they would be excited that they'd finally been delivered and, and they'd finally been set free? Wouldn't you think an alcoholic father would be excited that his son was set free from alcoholism? But, but the spirit of Babylon grows angry when a spirit of excellence gets on someone. When they're still enslaved by the spirit of Babylon, they grow jealous when the spirit of excellency gets on you. When a carnal Christian sees a Christian with anointing, they grow jealous. And then you have to deal with their jealousy. That's what happened with Saul. He's looking at David. David is just being David. He's doing what he always did. He's singing songs unto the Lord. He's worshiping. He's dancing. He's writing poetry. He's driving the dark spirits away. He's being obedient to God. He's killing giants. And Saul, who used to be that kind of person, is getting angrier and angrier because David is just being David and he has anointing on him. All Saul had to do was get rid of the crud and the carnality and the disobedience out of his life and he could have had the same anointing that David had. If you're here tonight and you're jealous of someone's anointing get in a prayer room until you get your anointing back. If you're here tonight and you're jealous that God's using somebody, get on your knees until God starts using you again. Yeah. Hello. The spirit of jealousy in your life is a sign that you need to check yourself for Babylon. If you're fighting jealousy all the time, Babylon's gripped your spirit somewhere. If you're offended all the time, Babylon's gotten in your spirit somewhere. But the spirit of excellence says, I'm going to do the best I can wherever I go. And whatever happens, by the way, whatever happens, happens. I'm willing to deal with the consequences. If it means I have to be thrown to lions, I'll be thrown to lions. If it means somebody doesn't like me, it means they don't like me. What matters to me is that I have a clean conscience before God, that I'm doing what's right in God's sight. You have to be willing to accept the consequences of your convictions. You have to be willing to accept the persecution that comes with your convictions. Why? Because you are setting your affection on things above. You don't have convictions for the approval of men. You have convictions for the approval of God. Now listen, we're human. I want people to like me. Anybody want people to hate them? Nobody wants that. I don't want people to dislike. In fact, I'm not content with people just not hating me. I want people to like me a little bit. Yeah, and you do too. Don't look at me like that. You want people to like you. 
We do. We want people to like us. But, but you know what? You can take that to an unhealthy level. In the end, your real concern ought to be, what does God think about me? Can we lift our hands right now and just say, Lord, Lord, I want to make sure I'm right with you. I want to make sure I'm pure. I want to make sure I'm clean. I want to make sure I'm holy. Amen. Last slide. Last slide. Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 10. Daniel went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber. This was right after the law had been decreed that he couldn't pray for 30 days to anyone but the king. But he had a conviction that he prayed three times a day, every day. Right after the decree, Daniel went into his house, opened up his windows in his bedroom toward Jerusalem, towards the place that he had come from, towards the place that Babylon had destroyed, towards the place where the temple had been desecrated, towards the place where the holy things of God had been carried into captivity in the land of Babylon. He would, he would open up those windows. And even though he was an official in Babylon, even though he was technically a servant because he couldn't leave, even though he had to live in this environment, he was not of this environment. And so he had the habit of keeping his eyes on the promises of God. Why? Because Daniel believed that God one day was going to restore his people back to the land of promise. One day, God was going to deliver his people. One day, the temple was going to offer sacrifice. One day, it was going to be restored to its former glory. One day, people were not going to hang their harps up on the willow trees and cry. No, one day, they were going to make their way back home to the land of promise promise that their carnality and compromise and backsliding had taken away from them one day we're gonna go back so he'd keep his eyes on the promises you want to know in the new testament how you keep your convictions strong you keep your eyes on the promises of god you look towards your heavenly home you know you're strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land you sing the old song this world is not my home I'm just passing through. I know I'm in Babylon, but I've got something better waiting for me. Keep your eyes on the promises of God. When you feel like you can't take it anymore, remember, he's never going to put more on you than you can bear. When you feel like you don't have a friend in this world, remember, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you feel like there's no peace to be found, remember, he is the peace that passes understanding. When you feel like there's no joy, remember, he'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you feel as though you'll never walk again, remember the promise that all you've got to do is stand stand therefore hallelujah yes keep your eyes on the promises you know the problem with Peter I think about Peter a lot when when he walked on the water what time is it am I out of time yeah I think about Peter a lot when he when he got out of the boat and he walked to Jesus and the Bible says it looked like a ghost coming to him and, and he gets a little closer and Peter makes it out and realizes it's Jesus. And, and, uh, and he decides, you know, I'd, I'd like, Jesus is calling to him. And Peter has this surge of faith. And he says, you know, I, 
I think I'd like to walk on water. If God doesn't, Jesus doesn't do something, I'm going to die anyway in this boat. I'll get out and I'll walk on the water. And so he does, and he's walking on water. Have we heard it so many times that it doesn't? He's walking on water. And he's looking at Jesus. And then the Bible says he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he began to sink beneath the waves. He began to look at the waves. He began to look at the things around him. He began to hear the wind. You know how you're going to lose your convictions? Take your eyes off of Jesus. That's why when you see people who are compromising nonstop, they don't have a prayer life. They don't have worship. They don't have praise. They don't have anointing. There's no miracles in their life. Why? Because they took their eyes off Jesus. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Yeah. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then let your convictions stand with me. Let your convictions keep you close to God. In prayer, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Even before the law said he couldn't pray, he'd been doing it. He'd been doing this a long time. It was his habit to pray. If you want to maintain your convictions, let your convictions push you to relationship with God. Do you know there is nothing that harms holiness more than people who have convictions without relationship with God? Hello. See, I've been preaching to the carnal people, the people who don't have convictions. And I'm going to preach to some people who have convictions. Some people have convictions, but no relationship. And you know what that does? It destroys your witness. Because you can keep all the external things and you can stay away from the king's meat and you can walk away from the king's wine and you can do all of those external things. But if you don't have a prayer life and a relationship with God, none of those things matter at all. Daniel not only had the convictions that people could see outwardly and that expressed themselves in excellence, but he also had the relationship with God that drew him to prayer three times a day. Even when the culture said, you are not allowed to pray any longer. And by the way, if you're looking for more proof that we're living in the age of Babylon, they've taken prayer out of schools. They've taken prayer out of public places. They've taken prayer out of the courtrooms. They've taken prayer out of almost every institution you can imagine. There are corporations now where prayer is banned. I'm talking multi-billion dollar corporations where you cannot pray in their buildings. And that is the spirit of Babylon that says, Daniel, we're going to shut your prayer life down. We can't find anything else wrong with you, so we'll keep you from praying. Yeah, that's the spirit of the age. But Sister Cole, we're going to keep on praying, aren't we? We're going to keep on praying. We're going to keep on praying. Let's do that. Lift up your hands and let's ask the Lord to help us. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that not only would our convictions be strong, but I pray, Lord, that our relationship with you would grow stronger day by day. I pray that our convictions and our relationship, Lord, would come together to give us the spirit of Daniel, the consecration of Daniel, the power of Daniel, the anointing of Daniel, Lord. That spirit of Daniel that will help us to overcome the spirit of Babylon. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name. You want to make Babylon mad?
Pray. Pray. You want to make hell mad? Pray. You want to get the devil upset? Pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. Greet someone and tell them we're going to make it. We're going to make it.